All right, good evening, everybody. I've got 16 after, so I'm going to go ahead and get going if everybody's okay with that. I hope, hope everybody's week's off to a good start. Um, it's crazy. Life's crazy, isn't it? Um, but anyway, I'm glad to be back at church. And uh, I'll, I don't, I'll, well, the announcements baby bottle, fundraiser, um, the creation, uh, what's it called? The Ark Trip and Creation Museum. Uh, we will have a little meeting right here Sunday. Um, so uh, be mindful of that. And I think that's all the announcements I've got. Was there one other announcement? Um, all right, let's go into uh, prayer requests. I'm going to mention a few. And uh, man, it just seems like in life there are times where prayer requests and needs just come flying at you. And it's, it's felt that way lately. Um, I, I can't mention everything that I've got written on my bulletin, um, but I want to I give you a couple um, that need to be updated. Mikey Bird did pass away, so pray for the Mikey Bird family, Scott Green family as well. Um, I think, I forgot, when is Scott's funeral? Okay, and, and Mikey is, they're just doing a graveside service. Uh, the family's asked me to do it. Y'all pray for me. I didn't know Mikey, and those are often a little bit more difficult uh, for, for me to do. Um, but I wanted to do that for the family, so just, just pray that I do that the right way. Um, also, I want you guys to uh, remember Jackie Howe. Keep her in your prayers. Um, does anybody remember when she w goes to see her doctor? Today. Is it today, or was it today? Say again. It was today, but I hadn't seen him. Mm. Okay. Um, remember the Bowles crowd uh, with what they've got going on with the girls? Um, I've got a couple, uh, somebody mentioned an unspoken and another one or some private prayer requests have come to me since then. So just remember to pray for each other. A lot of people deal with things that, well, they don't talk about or that they don't make public. In fact, everybody deals with things uh, that they don't mention. So we just need to remember to pray for each other. And uh, I want to remind you that um, Albert, he, he mentioned, uh, I guess it was his nurse, Alice, and uh, who was one of those people going through something. And uh, Albert said that we would pray for her, so continue to remember her. Um, that's a special opportunity. Continue to remember, uh, I know Margaret said uh, Chip had knee surgery. Who else has knee surgery? Somebody else has got one coming up. It's on here somewhere. Uh, oh, huh? No. <laughs> yeah, he, he keeps looking into it. Um, Huh? Is it Margaret? Okay. Well, that's why I've got those together. So, and that's right. That's right. Um, okay. 
All right. Um, what else? I know I didn't name them all. Does anybody you have one? Okay. All right. So that's Robert and Rebecca Nelson. Um, what else? All right. Um, there was something that just came in. Oh, I remember it was. Oh, that's another one of them private ones. You better watch what you tell the preacher, I'll forget. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we do love you, and uh, we give you thanks for the great privilege of knowing you, and I uh, pray, Lord, that we would never take it for granted. We uh, ask, God, that you would watch over our church, our families, our friends. Um, Lord, we have some that have lost loved ones and that are going through difficult times, uh, Lord, we have those that are going through health trials and, uh, Lord, some that are nearing their own end. And, God, we just pray that your presence be felt in all these things and that your comforts be known. Uh, God, we ask that you attend uh, to all the various needs, uh, spoken and unspoken. Lord, you know what they are. You know best how to tend to them. And, uh, God, you know what each and every single one of us need. Uh, we pray, God, that we would just... Uh, either have the wisdom to see you at work in our lives or just a trust knowing that you are. Uh, God, we want to ask that you would watch over our families. Uh, Lord, that while we pray for so many different things, that uh, you would tend to our spirits first and foremost, knowing that everything in this world is temporary, uh, but what is to come lasts forever. And so, God, we just pray that you would help us to uh, be evangelical, to do our part, to share the gospel, to love our neighbors, and uh, to be all that you've called the church to be. We just ask, Lord, that as we study your word tonight, uh, Lord, that it would, uh, it would be something that honors you, that grows us in Christ's likeness, that encourages us, and reminds us of who we are in you. We ask this in Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, we're going to begin a study of the book of Joshua. Did I tell you guys that already? Um, and so we are, we're going to launch into this new study, and it's always difficult when you first begin... Um, a new book. Um, I mean, I can't cover Genesis up through Joshua to jump into it, but I will remind you just kind of briefly um, that, that Joshua, and, and if you remember, in fact, what, what kind of brought this to mind is uh, coming on the heels of Jude. And as we studied Jude, some of those um, Old Testament allusions or references um, and it just reminded me that Joshua, in fact, Joshua is it's starting something new. Um, the Pentateuch ends uh, as Deuteronomy ends, and you have the, the record of the death of Moses. That's one of those things that we referenced as we studied Jude. And uh, then as we begin Joshua, it is a changing of the guard. It is a, a new era for Israel, but God hasn't changed, and God's promises have not changed. And I think that much of what we see in Joshua... We're going to read, for example, today what the Lord spoke to Joshua, but it's applicable to us. In fact, what Joshua and Israel were going through at that time, um, I think that while they crossed over Jordan and went into Canaan land, claiming the land that God gave them, that this, this paints the picture of Christian living. Um, in fact, uh, 
I was reminded of the, the uh, what's the song um, about crossing over Jordan? Is that what it's called? I am just going over Jordan. I am just going over home. And the idea is, and you hear people use that a lot, or he just crossed over Jordan, and that what they're talking about is somebody died and went to heaven. But these people didn't die when they crossed over Jordan, and so that, that is really not a fitting analogy. By the way, I like the song, and so while I'm saying that the song is not a good analogy, it, I still like it. In fact, my wife sang it in a different church one time. Um, you don't remember that? No, I'm talking about it, Mineral Springs. Okay. But, it, but anyway, she did it with a bluegrass band and has no memory of it. Uh, but anyway. All right. Can I continue now? All right. I'm going to continue now. Anyway, the point is Joshua, the book of Joshua, is about victorious Christian living. It is not about dying. And today, uh, the message, I've, I've just titled it, Calling the Courageous. I think that you can make the case here that the call to the Christian is to live life boldly, live life full of life, live it full of courage. And uh, what I'd like to do is read these first nine verses here uh, from the book of Joshua, and then we'll do um, a sort of a brief commentary on it. It says, beginning in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous." being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's a pretty, pretty wonderful little message there. Um, and if you didn't catch it, there was three be strong and very courageous in there. And there's a there's another one if you look over in verse 18, which we're not going to get to today. Um, and that, that is one of the highlights of this. But the first thing I want to point out is just that the simple fact that Christians are called to victorious living. In other words, into victorious living. And let me say this. Sinners do not live a victorious life because they don't live a Christian life. I'm not saying that, and when I say sinners here, I'm not saying this in the universal sense and that we're all falling, 
but those that have rejected Christ, those that do not know Him, and therefore do not have salvation in the Father. They don't love God, therefore they don't obey God, but that doesn't mean that they don't have blessings in this life. Many of them can be very successful. They can make a lot of money. Uh, in fact, sometimes they have much more than... Well, what, they all have more than they deserve. Uh, so that, that's pretty clear. But Joshua here is being commanded... Um, and I, the, the first thing that I want to say, and I have to go outside the text a little bit to make this point, but this is important, is that Joshua does not just appear as the leader. Joshua is not randomly being selected. And I want to read you a couple of passages um, from, from Exodus that give us the picture of how Joshua got to where he was at. Now, I happen to believe that um, there are great, preachers, great spiritual leaders in every generation. Now, we may use phrases like the dark ages, but I promise you that there were faithful pastors even in those times that were um, leading their congregations in righteousness. They were adhering to the Word. They upheld things like the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. And there are those men in our day and uh, churches that do that. I, I have pastors that have been that for me, and I hope that um, well, I hope that it, in some small way that I do that here at Hamer Creek. And the way that that happens is by drawing close to the Lord God Himself. I want to remind you that in, in Exodus 24, um, well, the, I'll just read it. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may get, give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Now listen to this next part. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. Very interesting. Um, Joshua almost seems in a few places in the text... I don't want to say to supplant the priesthood, but he is, he is in a more privileged position than the priesthood. So here the priests are left behind. And by the way, you can go read this in Exodus 24. You'll see that they were called up and it says that they communed with the Lord and saw Him face to face. But when it's time to go and receive the law, it is Joshua that rises and goes with Moses. In Exodus 33, uh, verses 7 through 11, it says... Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, that he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar... Uh, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand on the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak, face, speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, His assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. It's not a small thing. 
This would be like having to run the young men out of the church. Um, but it's better than that because this is the tent of meeting. It would be like saying, the prayer meeting's over. Y'all have to leave and go home. And the young men staying behind. When I read the scriptures, it almost never mentions Joshua's emotions. They're not mentioned here. In fact, sometimes Bible commentators will say, well, he was obviously very scared and very timid because the Lord had to tell him so many times to be strong and courageous. But I don't believe that to be the case. Because the first time he went into Canaan land, he was one of the twelve, or of the twelve, he was one of the two that brought back a good report. He was ready to go then, and he was ready to go now. I don't think he was scared. I think he, he loved God, and he trusted God, and he was so close to him, he couldn't be moved. So there's a, I would almost call it a kind of stubbornness that is, uh, it's a good kind of stubbornness, if I can put it that way. Uh, seeking God so much. In fact, it's the kind of stubbornness that we see in Jacob in the Old Testament when he wrestles with God. And he says, let me go. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And if we prayed like that, if men would seek God that way, I don't believe we'd have half the problems that we have in our churches, in our families, and in our country. It's the kind of faith that you read about in Matthew 15. In fact, we're reading about the Israelites going into Canaan land. These are the enemies of God, the people that were to be blotted out. And in Matthew 15, you read about a Canaanite woman, and I'm just going to paraphrase this. You can go read it if you like to. And it says that Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and a Canaanite woman comes, and she cries out after him, and she's saying, Bless me, Jesus, son of David. And her daughter is vexed with a spirit. And a, I think in Mark it says she's very sick. And she's calling out to him. And you know what the disciples tell Jesus? They say, send her away. She's crying out after us. And once she's crying out, it says that Jesus just keeps his silence. He doesn't answer her. He's ignoring her. You know what she does? She keeps on. By the way, there's a little note, a little message in here about your prayer life. Sometimes you need to keep praying because this Canaanite woman doesn't leave. And you know what Jesus finally says? I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why should I give their blessing to dogs? And she says, but even the dogs must eat from their master's table. And he says, oh, blessed are you for your faith. And it has made your daughter whole. Go your way. That's a beautiful kind of spiritual stubbornness. And so I just want you to realize that Joshua does not arise out of some vacuum to this position of leading God's people, but rather that it comes from a position where he has always been seeking to be close to God. We also see here that God is a, a promise keeper. That's good for victorious Christian living because we're not. We fail, we make mistakes, we don't keep our word. By the way, keep your word every chance you can. Always try to keep your word. And guess what? Sometimes stuff happens and things come up. But God, he always keeps his word. And uh, here we see that he mentions the land that I am giving them. By the way, they didn't deserve it. Uh, their forebears certainly didn't deserve it. And in fact, I want to remind you, um, the forebears were the ones that said, God said, I'm going with you. Go in there. I'm going to give you the victory. I will send hornets before you. And they said, we're not going. Uh, we're scared. Our children will be a prey unto them. And, uh, you know, remember they were always, we'd rather die in the wilderness. And you know what God said? You got it. 
And so he gave them what they wanted. But nevertheless, here, Canaan does not represent heaven. It represents Christians living in an alien world, touched by a sinful generation of men, and still walking in victory. So if you look in verses 5 through 7, we see how Christians should live victorious. Let me read those couple verses again. It says, beginning in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Let, let, let me say this again. This is God speaking to Joshua. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you that this can be God speaking to you. Listen to what he says. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So when we see how Christians are supposed to do it, I think that first and foremost we can say Christians are supposed to be bold. I think for too long Christians have acted like we're the big losers. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that Christians are guilty of. And uh, maybe I'm guilty of this too. God forgive us. We, we act like we're victims sometimes. Like we're losing and the world's winning. We've already won. It's done. We are the winners. The believers in Christ are the winners. So even if the whole world turned against us and threw us in a pit of fire tomorrow, we still win. And so Christians don't need to go around talking about... Oh, the world's against us. And now look, I'll tell you straight up, there are disadvantages to being a Christian in my workplace, for example. We're still the winners. We still win. And so we should be bold. And uh, we should look at it just that way, that no man shall be able to stand before us. And I'm going to tell you, if you are a bold Christian, it will affect how people act around you. I can, and that's a good thing. Now they might say behind your back, oh, he's old-fashioned. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, I've heard that before. Uh, I made the statement at work one time that I don't work alone with women. And guess what? Oh, Rupert's too old-fashioned, or he's a chauvinist pig, won't work with women. No, I'm just trying to be responsible. And I'm going to tell you something that they won't say about me. They won't say that I was unfaithful to my wife. In fact, uh, they can't even make that accusation if it's not true. Uh, because I fall, and it's not my rule, I stole it from Billy Graham. And if Billy Graham was so strict about it that if a woman got on an elevator and if it was just going to be the two of them, he stepped off. Call me a chauvinist. You know what I say? I say, that's pretty smart. Keep yourself from being in a compromising situation. Well, guess what? People will talk about you behind your back if you do stuff like that. And they'll, they'll, they'll say you're narrow-minded or old-fashioned or whatever it might be. But uh, it's a good way to live victorious. Um, by the way, this promise to Joshua, I want to, I just want to say it again because um, it's a big deal. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that wonderful? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want to remind you that Hebrews 13 verse 5 quotes this and says that that's true for us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we have the very company. We have the very guidance of Christ Jesus with us in this life. Um, let me read you the verse. Here it is. It says that, uh, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
You see the context there? Don't, don't get caught up with the love of money or discontentment, something that's in your life and start looking elsewhere because God's with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. I love that context. Uh, it reminds you when you think things are against you, when you think that you don't have enough, God's with you and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's when we need to know it. And so as he said that to Joshua, I believe that he, the New Testament proves to me that he says that to us too. By the way, um, another thing about Christians living victorious, not only are they supposed to be bold, but this is required. It is required that Christians live victorious. In fact, in his address here, he tells Joshua, he says, Now therefore arise and go. He doesn't say, if you're ready. He doesn't say, take a vote. He says, get up and go do the thing that you're always supposed to do. The thing that I commanded generations before. In fact, when he called Abram, Abram um, in his own sovereign election, he said that he would give this land to them. In fact, he told them, he said they would go into captivity for a time. And he said, but it will be given to their children after them. And so it is coming to pass here. So it is required. It is a command. And we are required, as they are, to live for him, to live a victorious life. And let me say this, victory first and foremost over sin. Christians should not live a life that is just marked by sin. They should stand up for Christ. They should stand up for biblical morality against a culture that... Um, by, by the way, let me say something. You don't have to be cruel or foolish um, to do this. In fact, I, uh, I don't know if I should tell this or not. I'm going to. But I, I texted my wife today. I found myself... I was in a meeting at work... And I had a, a girl sitting on either side. We were, it was a big conference table. And uh, I was sitting at the head of the table, and there was a lady on either side. And one of the ladies, um, she was eating some sort of strange organic snack that I don't remember what it was. What was it? Yucca Puffs. Now, look, they might be delicious, but it said hippie snack on it as far as I'm concerned. And, and she looked kind of like a hippie, and she had a... A, a, not, a, not, not a little nose ring like a little pick, but a, a hog ring in her nose, an actual ring in her seven. And I looked, and I'm like, what kind of vibes is she trying to get on? And I looked at the girl over here, and she had her legs crossed, and she's one of these not-going-to-shave type of girls, and uh, she was wearing her mask. And I just looked at them, and I was like, you know, they're telling me something about themselves and how they present themselves. And... Uh, it wasn't long into the meeting, and one of those girls was lamenting about how she was not respected because she's a woman. And you know what that is? That's the old victim card. And that's what I'm talking about. The Christians can't play the victim card. The Christians are to be bold. They are to be courageous. They are to stand up for... Now, look, there's really actually nothing wrong with not shaving your legs. Now, women, I'm not recommending that, especially if you're married. But there's really nothing wrong with it. But the point is... There are dividing lines, and the dividing line for the Christian is that we're pro-Christ. Now, I can't get up here and say, if you don't shave your legs, you're not a good Christian woman. That's not true. You can not shave your legs all you want to. Actually, that's a conversation for you and your husband, maybe. <laughs> but nevertheless, there are some things that a family must stick together on. Biblical morality. By the way, I think a husband and a wife should vote together. Now, I don't mean in the same booth. You each get a vote, but you ought to agree on who you vote for. You ought to agree on the politics of the home. You ought to agree on the direction of the home. And do you know how you find it? Anybody going to be real surprised when I pick this up? It's right here. It's right here. 
we know the principles that God has given us in his word. So sometimes you'll be the odd man out. But nevertheless, if you're, if you're standing with God, you're not alone. Because he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Um, let me just say this in mentioning that. We exist for one reason. One reason. Are you ready? To glorify the Almighty God. That's it. We exist for His glory. He didn't need our company. There's nothing that we can produce that He needs that He couldn't. In fact, He doesn't need anything. But we exist to give Him glory. And so that's all we need to do. And so He says, uh, by the way, the other two things here, no surprise, not going to dwell on them. Strong, courageous. Can I say something about courageous? It doesn't mean that that person doesn't ever feel fear. In fact, sometimes the most courage that you can display comes when you feel lots of fear, but you know the right thing to do, and you do the right thing even while feeling the fear. Does that make sense? So it's not, in fact, if you don't ever feel fear, you might be a sociopath. There might be something wrong with you, but you should do the right thing even in the face of fearful things. Um, you know, as Christians, we have responsibilities. Joshua here, he had a great responsibility of leading Christians into a promised land. Fathers, mothers, you have a responsibility of leading your children into a Christian promised land, if I can put it that way. We have a responsibility as Christians. I'm not saying we try to brainwash people, but we, we have a responsibility to share Christ with our coworkers with our family members. We can't twist their arm and make them believe. But we can share the gospel and let faith come by hearing. All right, so bold and courageous. Um, by the way, let me say something about being this idea of being strong. It's not, it's not about physical strength. It's about spiritual strength. And we covered that on Sunday. I hope you realize that one of the most courageous, strong things that a person can do is say, I have no idea how this is going to work, but I, this is what God has called us to do. We're going to do it. And just sticking with God. It takes a lot of nerve to do the right thing most of the time, but Christians are called to do it. Now look, verses 8 and 9 tell us how the Christian is to do it. So if you look in verse 8, this is not a small part of this. This might be the main thrust of all of Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. I want to pause right there. So what he is saying is the Christian is to, well, this is what you call walking the line. And so when he says careful to do uh, all the book of the law, by the way, that's the same language that we see in Nehemiah when we read about Ezra. It says they went and they got the book of the law. The book of the law, can we just say the Bible, God's Word? At this point in time, it would have included... The first five books, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. Um, shortly after, uh, it would have included Joshua. But what he's saying is, keep the law. Walk the line. Now, he's very clear, because this is how wayward people, because our nature is to be wayward. This is how we keep God's law. Yeah, I like that. I agree with that. I'm going to do that, and I like that. And this one over here, that one kind of offends me a little bit, so I'm going to sidestep that one. It doesn't really apply to me. Look, you just went to the left. Or sometimes, you get, I don't really understand that one, so I'll put that off. You just went to the right. He says, don't err to the left or to the right. Walk the line. Keep the law. And so our responsibility as those that have been entrusted with God's word, and there is no more sacred, no more valuable deposit in all the world than God's word. 
And we are called to keep it. Shoot it straight, right down the middle. And by the way, trust God enough to keep His Word even when you don't understand it. Even when it goes against what you feel. And I promise you that God will reward you for that. He doesn't always open our understanding, but He always rewards us. Um, so we see that they are guided by God's Word. Now I have to say this because of the generation that we live in. It's not magic. This is not some sort of relic or some sort of mystical artifact. And having a Bible in your home and another one on your dash and another one in your office, and one on your phone is of absolutely no help to you. If you want to have the guidance of God's Word, you have to do something that may seem a little bit extreme. Y'all know what I'm going to say, don't you? You have to read it. You have to know the content of it. You have to know what's inside of it. This is how he says it. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And when I read that verse... I'm just going to tell you, I came under immediate conviction because I know I need to start a Bible study with my children. They get plenty of Bible teaching, but Mama does most of it. Guess what? It's my responsibility too. In fact, it is primarily my responsibility. So I, I read that verse. I said, I'm going to start my... Now, is Susanna going to get much out of it? No, probably not. But I'm going to tell you something I've noticed about children. My kids remember things that are obscure that I said five months ago. And I'm like, why do you remember that? And the answer is because they're children. Something about a child's mind is just absorbing and soaking things in. And so if a parent dare say, I wait, I'm going to wait till they get older and they can really understand it, you're missing, the, you're missing the time in their life when they can absorb and learn the most. In fact... Uh, in 2 Timothy, is it 3.15, it says, And from a, from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is, is that ESV? Point is, from a child you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so we should be instilling these things, even in the youngest. Um, so we walk the line, that is keep the law, obey God's word. I'll put it that way, obey it. We're guided by it because we read it and because we speak it. Because we proclaim it, because we teach it, we quote it, we sing it, we think about it. It's in our minds and it's on our hearts. By the way, sometimes you can tell a Christian by the things that they say. Uh, I'll tell you another work-related story. I was at a, another meeting at work and we were discussing um, these goose banding efforts that we do in the summertime. And uh, we had been banding geese at places like uh, city parks and cemeteries. And we'd also been banding them on farm ponds out in the country. Well... If you know any waterfowl hunters, if they see a field full of 70 geese, they're going to hunt them. But when you look at a city park, you might kind of think, oh, those geese may never get hunted. And so after we had uh, began to analyze our results, what we found out is that some of these geese, even the ones that live in Charlotte, were flying out to cornfields that had been cut, and they were being hunted by hunters. And so uh, as these results were being presented, uh, the then wildlife uh, division chief he said, and so what we have found out is that even these city geese need to go out and partake of crops. And one of the guys that's sitting around the table, he said, so what you're saying is that geese cannot live by bread alone? <laughs> now look, it's a sloppy joke, but, but he quoted the Bible. And so guess what? That's a Christian joke. And you know what the sad thing was? I was the only one that got it. 
because it's a bunch of non-Christian people. That's the world that, uh, well, that makes up the Wildlife Commission anyway. Um, but nevertheless, if you, if you read the Bible, in fact, I'll just say it this way. It will come out of your mouth sometimes. You can't help it. Um, I'm reminded so many times of a Bible verse. Somebody will tell me something that's going on, and I'll just spit the Bible. I'm not preaching at them. I'm just reminding them what the Bible says. And by the way, I love when people do that to me. Uh, remind me of what the Bible says. You can do that the wrong way, by, uh, by the way. Um, you know, I, I, I hadn't finished that story. The guy that made the joke about geese cannot live by bread alone, he's uh, the same co-worker I had that came up to me a couple years after that, and he said, I just want to tell you that uh, I appreciate you taking a stand for your faith in this environment. In other words, in this scientific elitist where Christians are made to feel small, and basically, he was telling me he really respected me. He goes, I've got a problem. He said, there was something that came on TV. I think it was Indiana Jones. And his own son, who is now like 11 years old, came to me and said, Dad, what is the Ark of the Covenant? And so here you have a man who was raised in the church himself, but has not done a very good job with his own family. And he has his 11-year-old son saying, what, in, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Didn't know. Well, Dad knew because he grew up in church. And so he told him, and one of the things he told him, well, was that it contained the uh, Ten Commandments. And you know what his son said? What are the Ten Commandments? That would probably be typical for the younger generation. I, su I suspect that many of our children do not know. I don't mean our children in the church, but children outside the church know what the Ten Commandments are. Um, all right, so we are to think on it. It even says to meditate on it. And by the way, this idea of meditating on God's Word can I just say that's not some sort of Eastern mystical sitting around and chanting something and breathing funny? That's not it. It's to think on it. It's to think critically on it. In fact, if you read something in God's Word, you should be thinking, in fact, it says to do it day or night. There's no part of your life that God's Word doesn't touch. There's no part of your life that is exempt from God's Word. There's no part of your life that can't benefit from the direction of God's Word. Uh, finances, relationships how you speak. Um, I got just a couple minutes here. Let me tell you all one about how, how you speak. I, I hope I haven't told you all this before, but at my house, we don't say the word stupid. At least most of us don't. We taught our kids not to say it. It's not clean speech. And they think that's, they think that's the curse word. This is a good place to be for now. And uh, sometimes daddy says that word. And by the way, that word's in the Bible and one day I used that to defend myself, and I got the Bible, and I said, see, so God said the word stupid. So if God said it, can't Daddy say it? And she said, well, he shouldn't have said it either. <laughs> oh. Anyway, the point is, God's word, by the way, it doesn't say that we should call each other or people stupid, quite clearly. Um, but God's word does direct us in all of life. And I want to point out that Christian success is dependent upon it. It says to be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Listen to this now. Now, y'all can accuse me of being a prosperity preacher later if you want to, but this is what it says in the Bible. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I'm going to stop right here and say something about that. It doesn't say you will instantly become a millionaire because you kept God's law. But it does say that you will have good success and that your way will be prospered for having obeyed God. Now here's the typical Christian in 2024. My life's a mess, nothing's going my way, and I don't know why. 
and then they disobey God's commandments. They don't live by His Word. And many times if they would just change the way that they're living and obey God's Word in whatever facet of their life it is, then it would fix the problem. And so we are to, well, our success, I'm just going to leave it at success because it's broad. But I do believe that this uh, applies to all of life, all things that you could call success, whether it's uh, in the workplace, in relationship, uh, even in things like hobbies, in your endeavors, follow God. You know, I know when my priorities are askew. And I, I have actually told my wife before, if you don't know it, I love to bow hunt. If I could do anything, I would bow hunt. I could do it every day. I love it. I don't do it every day because if I go and I've left things undone or there's other things that I should be doing, I, it bothers me. I don't have a good feeling about it, and I'm going to promise you something else. I'm not going to kill a deer that day. I sure ain't going to see a big buck. And I'll, I've told my wife before, I shouldn't have went today. I was supposed to do such and such. I need to get my priorities back in line. That's true for all of us. Uh, we need to let God's Word steer us, let His Spirit steer us to have good success. Uh, and by the way, this is pretty interesting given the context. It starts with Genesis, which is creation out of nothing, God's sovereign choice. He, he chooses Abraham. He creates a nation out of Jacob, Israel. It's God does, God does, God does. And then he's, you have a responsibility. And we cannot miss that. And if you preach either of those standing alone, you've missed the picture. The point is always that God is sovereign and that God is in control and that we have a responsibility. One of those responsibilities, by the way, is trusting in the promises of God. And uh, the one that jumps out here is in verse 9 where it says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, or that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And I hope that you realize that. And let me just say um, that also we should realize that how the Christian can do it is encouraged. In fact, if you're discouraged, you can read this passage and you can get encouraged. In fact, it's a lot, little bit like a pep talk. And they're getting ready to go into war. Be strong and very courageous. God's with you. And so what he's saying there is you don't have to trust in you. This is God speaking. You can trust in me. You don't have to trust in the strength of man because God's going in there. And as we study some of these battles, you're going to find out Israel didn't win those battles. In fact, Israel didn't win any of them. God won them. Now let me just show you the other side of the coin and then I'll hush. The other side of this coin is don't keep God's commandments. Don't read His Word. Don't honor Him. Do err to the right. Do err to the left. Uh, that's, a, that's another way of saying uh, misuse God's Scripture or avoid it. Don't be obedient. Don't study God's Word. Don't meditate on it day and night. Don't apply God's wisdom, power, and insight to all of life. And then this is the way it would read. For then you will make your way unprosperous. Is that a word? You know what I'm saying, unprosperous. And then you will not have good success. I think that should be, a, a, by the way, that's not the way the Bible says it. The Bible states it in the positive. But I wanted to show you the negative uh, so that you see the positive against the negative. And the fact is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Sometimes I know the answer to that. It's you. It's me. We can be against ourselves. Uh, we need to trust God and follow Him as Joshua here is commanded to. Now, if you want to do a little bit of homework, you can go ahead and finish chapter 1 and be ready for next time.
and we'll continue our study of Joshua. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we ask that you would give us the same spirit that you gave Joshua and Caleb, that you would give us one of uh, strength and courage, that we would do like Joshua and that we would seek you with all that we are. Lord, that when tough times come, instead of wringing our hands and fretting and wondering what we're going to do, that, God, we would fall on our knees and that we would pray and that we would seek your face. God, I pray for the men that are here, Lord, that uh, we would see ourselves as we truly are, that we are, we are warriors in a spiritual war. And, God, that you have put us here to defend our families, protect our families, to lead our families, and, God, to do your will here on earth. And so, God, as we begin studying your word here in the book of Joshua... We pray, God, that you would just build us up. Help us to grow. Uh, Lord, help us to trust you all the more by knowing who we are in Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.